26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The end of chapter 3 is the beginning of a section where Paul is going to use a great deal of familial language to describe our relationship with God. While this sort of children of God language is incredibly normative within the circles I run in, I often forget it is very foreign to the ways many others speak of their relationship with God. Just today I listened to a podcast where a man was asked why he was still a Christian. He answered that his upbringing instilled a sense of social justice, focusing on doing good for others and having mystical experiences with God. Those things that tethered him to his faith were all statements of things he had control over, things he would do. I've been so fortunate to find ministries like Mockingbird and 1517, which fasten me tightly to the love of God, that I forget how many people don't define their relationship with God based on this. But I'm also struck by the reality that it wasn't too long ago when I constantly measured myself by what I did, instead of what Christ has done. It is only recently that this isn't a minute-by-minute fight for me. In 1517's 30 Minutes in the New Testament podcast, Eric Sorensen pointed out how he could understand the Judaizers, those whom Paul is pushing back against in this letter, when he considers how for their entire life they were told they were different, better, chosen because they were Jews. And then this Jesus comes onto the scene and blows that message up completely. That made so much sense to me as I pondered for how many years I defined my worth based upon my works, not just in the religious setting, but in every setting I existed in. It is the absolute norm to define one by what you do. How do you stack up to your coworkers? Are you as involved in the community organization as your friend is? Where do you rank in your class GPA? When you're with your friend group, are you the person everyone gravitates to? We are saturated in a message of earning and effort. In his commentary on Galatians, Martin Luther speaks of two different ways of putting on Christ, or as the translation I read from said, clothing yourself with Christ. The first way is according to the law. The second, according to the gospel. If we were to put on Christ according to the law, this would mean imitating Christ. Think WWJD. What would Jesus do? Is Christ an example for our lives? Sure. But if that is all he is, then we are in far more trouble than we originally thought, because Christ was perfect in every thought, word, and deed. This can only and continually communicate how we are not like him. Christ is a standard none of us can live up to. I remember attending a church a few years ago that was very set in its ways and struggled to change. I felt I had an obligation as a Christian to stay there because that was what Jesus would do, stay faithful through the difficulty. But that did nothing but hold me in custody under the law. Freedom finally came when God used someone to help me see it was prideful and arrogant to think that I could be Jesus to these people. Furthermore, lots of people dug their heels in deeper in their ignorance and sin when they interacted with Jesus. How could I possibly think I would do better than the Son of God himself? Putting on Christ according to the gospel looks like faith. And you'll notice that verses 26 and 27 are one sentence. And in this sentence, it connects faith and baptism. These aren't separate things. 
Paul wants the Galatians to be assured that they are children of God, and to do that, he points them to their baptism. My early Christian upbringing in college was steeped in traditions that stressed the symbolic nature of baptism, and those had their place in helping me along. But recently, I've been entranced by the understanding of baptism as something far more mysterious, something God is truly present in and uses to assure us. I don't have to look inside for that spark of faith. I don't have to examine the fruit in my life. When I'm impatient and harsh with my children, I don't forfeit my baptism. When I struggle to love my wife, my family, and others first and instead focus on myself, my baptism doesn't just magically disappear, as if it didn't happen in the past. I simply need to remember my baptism, the place where God promised I became his child through faith. Your word of encouragement today is this. You are a child of God through faith because you were baptized into Christ Jesus. That objective event is what you can root your assurance in.